Hey, Steph. Hi, Amy. Hi, welcome to Cancer for Breakfast. Do you know um, one thing we have never done on this podcast? What's that? An interview. And we get so many requests for them. We do. And we feel like we don't really have space in the normal Cancer for Breakfast format with rats, with letters, with yik yak, um, that we haven't really wanted to compromise that to make room for other opinions. And then we thought, what the heck? Let's just do an entire, um, what is this called? An experiment? Yes. <laughs> Let's do an experiment. Let's start doing them. So, yeah. Yeah. So, we're calling it Second Opinion. That's right. And, you know, there are really, I made a joke about us getting a lot of requests for interviews, but people do they email do. us all the time saying, hey, I'm an expert in this or that. And they really have cool stories, neat stuff to share, expertise that you and I don't have, obviously. Mm -hmm. And we meet people um, all the time who right. give us an amazing viewpoint on something. And to be able to share that um, seems like a cool idea. Exactly. So um, our first one, obviously, is going to be with a cancer person. Absolutely. Um, and this was really cool to interview my friend Holly Rains, who um, is somebody who is at the very end of her experience with cervical cancer. And something really kind of miraculous happened to her when she was in the process of preparing to die using California's um, Death with Dignity act. Um, and I was lucky enough to see it unfold in real time. And then I asked her if she would be willing to share her experience with you and me and our listeners, because it was just a really beautiful story. Um, you know, and she is so much more than just somebody who is dying of cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, I really love the messages that she had to share about being authentic and maintaining your integrity Absolutely. throughout the entirety of your life, not just the active living part. So um, I hope people enjoy it. Well said. Thank you. Holly Rains. She's a photographer and accountant from San Diego. She's a mom and a partner and she has cervical cancer. Um, I'm really excited that Holly agreed to be the very first one of these conversations because I have just been in awe of her strength and um, willingness to be vulnerable, you know, kind of with her friends and family um, new and old, which I would love to talk about. Um, and just on social media, kind of raising awareness about cervical cancer and honestly, the end of life process too. Um, so welcome, Holly. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. So I, I hope we can just dive right in. I was wondering if you could tell me what happened two weekends ago. Okay, so um, two weekends ago, I was planning um 
for that weekend to be um, the process that I did for the end of life, mm -hmm. um, where I would basically take a bunch of medicine and it would slowly put me to sleep and then eventually stop my heart. Um, and it was because I was feeling a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. Um, it, I guess my like standard right now is if I'm not getting 75, 25 good to bad days with my family and out of life, I had just decided that was going to be my standard for whether or not I continue living. Yeah. Um, because I want quality of life. I don't want to just be alive. I want to live a life. Of course. So a lot of things happened because the week before I had a wonderful celebration um, that we called the end of life celebration, but I mm -hmm. like to call it my living funeral. Yeah. And I cannot wait to talk more about that. Um, and then Basically, the week after happened to be a great week. So that weekend that I had planned to go, I actually can't. I decided to not because I had so many things going for me in the right direction that I was like, you know what? Maybe this isn't the right weekend. Yeah. And as a result, um, instead of spending that weekend um, looking up Airbnbs to pass away in, I... Ended up looking at my 23andMe randomly. Yeah. I'm adopted and I've been able to find my biological mom. Mm -hmm. And that's been wonderful. Um, but, you know, I kind of gave up hope on ever finding my biological dad. And so strangely, this 23andMe, I looked at, I finally figured it out and looked at the DNA tree. And I saw that I had a half brother and I saw that I had a first cousin on my paternal side. Mm-hmm. And so I messaged both of them, not really expecting anything, but I did notice that my first cousin had been active within a day. And so all of a sudden I get this message from my first cousin and, you know, he's like, yeah, let's connect. Like, I, I want to hear more. Like, I think we could really help you find your dad. Wow. And it was like at 730 at night. Uh -huh. So I was like, okay, do I stay up and fall down a rabbit hole <laughs> yeah. until 5 a.m.? Or do I go to bed, get some sleep, and then contact him the next morning? I decided to go to bed and get some sleep. But I guess while yeah. I was in bed, my cousin had basically texted my number and my like told everybody that I, I exist in his family. Yeah. Like sent out the family bat signal. <laughs> yeah. Basically just everything down the line. And I woke up to like several text messages, all kinds of messages on social media, um, or, you know, Instagram, Facebook, like, hi, um, I'm your first cousin or hi, I'm your half sister or hi, you know, I'm your eldest first cousin. Cause I guess those things matter yeah. in my family. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was, it's just wild. Like how many people, like I literally woke up to like 25 messages. That's so wild. It, it was wild. And then that day I actually went and met that first cousin. Did they all know that you have cancer, that you were at the end of your life? Um, I don't know how much of them knew. I know he knew because that was kind of part of my letter was like, you know, I am dying of cancer and I did this 23 in me. 
as like a Hail Mary to find my dad. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is actually accurate or what. I'm like, so, you know, um, they had an idea. And then as I've gotten to know all of them, they actually understand like how severe mm-hmm. the cancer is and where I'm at in life with it. But yeah, like I met my cousin Dan or Don. Um, we talked for like five hours. He's like the nicest person in the world. And then it kind of just that whole next week, like Sunday morning, I met my half brothers, two of my half brothers. Um, Sunday night, Sunday night, I met my dad. Monday, I met two of my cousins. And then Thursday, I met two of my sisters. Wow. One of which was the oldest sibling for the longest time, and she was very happy to not be the oldest sibling anymore. <laughs> now you are? Yeah, now I am, because <laughs> I'm older than them by all, by like three years. Wow. Yeah. So, um, and then after that, there was a family, like they, I had said something when I talked to my cousin Don, like our first time meeting, I was like, yeah, like, I don't know anything about Vietnamese culture or like real Vietnamese food. Like, you know, I've like, I've had pho or a banh mi, you know, things that I don't say right. Like, (laughs) um, but like the typical Vietnamese food that most white centric people eat, right? Yeah, exactly. I don't have anything that's Vietnamese, like really Vietnamese or something that like might make me think a second, like, oh, am I going to eat that? (laughs) Um, and so they um, basically put together a, a feast for me. That's incredible. This giant feast and a giant gathering. And it was really cool because a lot of the cousins hadn't met together like that ever. So a lot of the first, all the a lot of the first cousins and a lot of my a few of my siblings came and we got to meet and we got to eat all this. They basically um, themed it like Tet. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Like the Lunar New Year, yeah. so it was really neat. We all wore the Ao Yai, um, which is I don't know if I'm saying that right either, but it's like the gown um, that you see the really pretty gowns. Yeah, yeah. It's been really cool meeting them, um, meeting my father. It kind of was on par with with what I expect from somebody who abandoned a baby. Yeah. I didn't expect much from him. I just wanted to know who he was. Um, And so I got exactly what I expected from him. Um, And, you know, I basically had to set a really hard boundary there with him. Like, like, you're not my dad. You're Mm not, you don't get to call yourself my dad. You've never done anything to be my dad. Um, Sure. And, you know, I'm sure that that was hard for him to see yeah well that's what I told him I was like we don't we don't have a relationship until you start being honest and I've given him several opportunities to be really honest about what happened um in the past and why he did what he did and like I'm not an un like I'm a very empathetic person so like I can understand um people doing things when they're young doing things out of fear Mm -hmm. um but I needed him to say it. Sure. Like acknowledge it, to grasp that, to say, look, I didn't make a good decision and that's my fault. And he's, and explain why, mm-hmm. you know, like, like it is still, no matter what, it's my fault, but I was afraid Yeah. or, you know, and that's not an excuse or that I was, you know, 
I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I can understand that. But he would never like say that. So I just told him, I was like, until you can admit all the things that you did and 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 take responsibility for them, like really take responsibility. Don't, don't blame things because he was doing things like blaming, like he didn't have a person to blame, right? Mm-hmm. So he was blaming doubt. Oh, sure. He was like, I just had doubt. So anytime I wanted to do something, that doubt really got me. And it's just like... Mm. <laughs> That's not really taking responsibility. That's like finding something to blame because you don't have a human to blame. Right. But if there was a human to blame, you would have blamed them. So, you know. Yeah. I think so many people would be inclined to not have that tough conversation, wanting to just tidy it all up and absolve him because that would be the, you know, the neat and, and, you know, tied up in a bow, that would be the way to do it at the end of somebody's life. But it's really impressive to me that you want to continue living authentically and having authentic relationships and yeah, and demanding that of the people in your life. And that's, I told him, I was like, that is a a non-negotiable for me. And I'm not, like I told him a long time ago, I've forgiven him. Mm-hmm. I I made peace with all of this a long time ago and I didn't need him to do that. Um, you know, I, I've forgiven him regardless. Yeah. And I have peace around it because I think about the life that I have now and how I wouldn't have that life had anything happened differently. Sure. You know, and like maybe my childhood was pretty awful, but like I had a really awesome adulthood. Yeah. And even in meeting him, like I let go of that part because look at what I got. I got 20 first siblings that are all stoked to see me and six siblings that are so loving. And like, I literally get texts from them all the time. Like, how are you doing today? What are you up to? And it's almost, it's a little overwhelming because I'm not used to like getting that much (laughs) communication in a day, but it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. You know, it's not a like it's not something to complain about. How do you feel about that as it relates to your son having this whole new set of of family members? It actually makes me feel really good. Um, I'm I am ecstatic that there's another group of people that I know will be there for him Mm -hmm. Um, because I know that as much as there is like family drama, like every family has drama, right? Yeah. But as much as I know this family has drama, like I know that they all will reach out. Like they, a lot of them have asked for Marco's and Dylan's numbers so that they can keep in touch. Yeah. Um, and so I've always wanted Dylan to be more in touch with the Vietnamese culture. But like, how was I going to teach him that with the lack of um, exposure to it myself? Yeah. And so like this... Uh, makes me very happy because he can, you know, go out with his aunts and uncles and and his cousins and go do things with them and learn. Yeah. Is there any sense of loss there for yourself or are you just happy for him? Um, There's a sense of loss in which I like wish I had found them sooner, um, a lot sooner. Sure. But for the most part, the things that I'm worried about, the the main concern for me as I'm passing or as I get ready for everything is really just how 
like, how is Dylan being taken care of? Yeah. And so for there to be more people caring for him, that's all I want. Yeah. What a gift. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine a better gift to give yeah. your kids than, than a whole new family that can learn yeah. about you through him too. Yeah. And, and, you know, a whole new family that can teach him about him, himself, like what's right. running through his blood and, you know, what he should have known or could have known had things been different. And, yeah. you know, not in like a wishful way, but just in a realistic way, like this was the culture you were supposed to grow up in. Yeah. And he tried a bunch of food he's never tried before, which I'm really proud of him. And Good for him. I know that's tough on a kid. Yeah. It really does feel like a miraculous story to have watched it unfold as it was happening was just like one of those really magical moments, you know, as somebody who was experiencing it from the outside. Did it feel like that to you? Did it feel really serendipitous? It was super surreal. Like, even just meeting my cousin the first time, I'm like, is this happening? Like, am I talking to this person? Yeah. And I almost, I asked him at one point, I'm like, do we need to take DNA tests? Like, how accurate <laughs> is this 23andMe? You know? Yeah. And like, even seeing my dad, I'm just like, is this real? Yeah. How does it feel to be welcoming new people into your life right up until the end? I feel like a lot of folks would not want to do that for the, you know, emotional safety of both parties. You know, maybe you would feel the loss more deeply of not getting to know them for longer. Maybe you would worry about that for them. What do you, what do you think about that? I guess I never really crossed my mind. Um, because I don't really think about like, just cause I'm so at peace with leaving when it's time that I don't think about, I guess it's kind of selfish. I don't really think about how it's going to be for everybody else besides my son. Yeah. I don't think that's selfish. Yeah. Um, and I figured the rest of them, they're all adults and they can deal with difficult emotion. And if they don't want to be close to me because I'm going to leave soon, then I understand they can make that choice. Yeah. Um, some of them, I don't think quite still understand like that when I say I'm in pain, and that the pain is starting to become uncontrollable. Yeah. I don't think they understand what that means because I don't think they understand what the aid and death means. And I've tried explaining, but I don't think, you know, some of them are like, yeah, you just got to keep fighting. And, right. you know, they mean well, but they don't really understand what's happening. Yeah. And they don't understand that, like, that I don't have to keep fighting that I. Yeah. And I won't. I think that is that's a tough concept for non-cancer people to grasp or anybody who hasn't had a life-threatening or life-limiting illness, you know? Yeah. Um, I would love to know how you came up with the concept of having a living funeral. Um, I just remember talking to my brother and thinking, like, isn't it weird that we say all these things to people? And I don't remember where that thought came from. I remember I read something somewhere. But I remember thinking, isn't it weird that we say all these things about people after they leave we give them flowers that they can't smell or enjoy um 
you know, we say how much we love them, but they can't hear it. And the other part of it was like when I was thinking about having one, like we're always joking about it. The other part of it was, oh, like then Dylan and Marco won't have to deal with a funeral. Yeah. Because they're not very social people. So I just kept thinking if I did this, then then they wouldn't have to and it was kind of last minute this whole thing that came together so like I was joking with my brother about it and I kept telling him I was like yeah and I was like then like Marco and Dylan would have to deal with like all these strangers approaching them while they're grieving and um I was like honestly I would get to say goodbye to everybody and hug them and I don't know I was like because I thought about that a long time ago like I've never had like a big celebration for me yeah I've never gotten married or anything. And I remember making a post about, um, I don't know, it'll be my elopement, but it'll be my death <laughs> elopement to like some beach. I love that. Um, you know, and obviously it wasn't a death elopement, um, but it was the a party that I wanted. You know, because I had joked about the death elopement where we just go somewhere and I have my party and then I go sleep in a bathtub. Yeah in the jungle (laughs) um so it's not quite that and we actually joke because I'm here still me and my brother actually joke about the fact that like we tease the universe we're like what if I'm still here two years later and we just had this you know my living funeral (laughs) and then you keep hanging on (laughs) yeah I was like I guess that's kind of a drawback because like what happens if you have your living funeral and you're fine. And then they cure cancer. I think that I think we would all excuse you. It would be OK. <laughs> that would be really cool if they cured cancer or if like somehow my pain stays away. Yeah. Or stays controlled enough, because that was the other thing is my pain has to be under control and I'm not sedated. Yeah. Because living in pain means I can't live. Being sedated means I can't live. So it has to be pain control where I'm still like me, like mm-hmm. the way I am right now, right? like awake and cogent and alive. So, yeah, it's such a logical idea, right? To have a party while you're still alive. Yeah. It makes so much sense. And yet I think there's some, something that keeps us from doing it. I don't know what it is, but I do hope that hearing about yours makes other people consider it because I think that you deserved to soak up all of that love and people deserved to have that opportunity to see you and hug you. And I think too, like your obviously your partner and son would have seen the love at a after death funeral too, but I think they deserved to see your happiness too. Um, yeah. Well, and I think that would have overwhelmed them right? because so many people would be coming up and giving their condolences and they're not social people. So it would have been kind of torture for them, I think, because they would be sitting there trying to like manage their emotions and grieving. Yeah. And um, the last thing they want to do is talk to yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think that's true of a lot of grieving people. And that's what I kind of noticed at funerals when I was growing up, right? Like, I don't think any of the people that were the the main people left behind that wanted to talk to very many people about right. things. Right. 
And they, they would always say like, oh, but this is good because then we could talk about memories and this is supposed to be a celebration. And I'm like, it's really hard to celebrate after the person died. Right. But like, if I'm here, we could still party, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. I'm, I'm here. We can still have a lot of fun. You know, I got my first tattoo. Um, my uncle was able to convince his friend, who's like a super talented tattoo artist, to come come give everybody a tattoo and it's hardcore I know beautiful it is my first tattoo (laughs) I I love it um and a lot of other people were able to get that tattoo and then we were able to share the sketches with everybody in case anybody else wanted to go get it because there was only so many that could be done that day yeah um but it's it was just fun. It was like, okay, I get to do something I've never done in my life, like get a tattoo, you know, um, enjoy. Well, I don't drink alcohol anyways, but enjoying non-alcoholic beverages with my family while they drink. It's really excellent. Um, I wonder, I, I have thought about this and I kind of mentioned it earlier, but, you know, I, I think we have a tendency to want to have everything kind of tied up in a neat little bow at the end of our lives. Um, and I get the feeling that you do not feel that way. Like you are more willing to leave some loose ends. Do you feel that that's true? Yeah. Like, like you said, like with my, my biological father, like most people would want to be like, I made nice, nice with my dad. I I don't like, I want real. And so if it's not real, I don't care how many bows are on it. Yeah. You know, I think that that's like that, that to me is the definition of living with integrity. Yeah. Like my biological half sister that I met when I met my mom and she was the one that's like helped make sure that we get to see my mom and translate things and whatever. She, she was really awful to me on our East coast trip that we invited her on. Even Dylan noticed how awful she was. And I had pointed it out to her because that's what I do with friends and family, right? Like you say, hey, maybe you didn't know this, but like you really hurt my feelings. And this was like really not cool when you did this. And so I wrote her like a long message saying like all these things. And she was just like, thank you for writing the long message. So sorry. (gasps) And I was just like, okay, that wasn't really like acceptable to me as far as an apology right and I I, you know at the end of that other message I had offered to like let her speak to I was like well I was like if you ever want to speak about it more so that we can actually resolve it I was like let me know um and she never did and you know that's one of those relationships that were so great that went so well for a while but again I'm don't care who you are or what you're supposed to mean to me, if you don't keep your integrity and take your responsibility for things you did or try to heal the harm you might have caused another person, Mm -hmm. then I'm moving on. I don't need it. I don't need you. I have a lot of good people in my life. Yeah. And I'm not going to give up the things that are important to me just because I'm dying. Yeah, like your, your principles. Yeah. Right. And what's really wild to me is that a lot of people do just to make it easier for those around them. Yeah. 
there's a big lesson to be learned, I think, in the way that you're approaching it. And yeah, but then the person dying is carrying what? Yeah, exactly. They're, they're, you, you know, end up being the one responsible for that burden. Yeah. And I don't, I'm, I don't believe I have to. That's not my, right. It's not up to me. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you hope that you're remembered by people that you've known your whole life and by people that you have only just met? Um, to be strong, outspoken, um, very value-driven, to really, really um, embrace honesty, responsibility, accountability, um, to always do what's right and be empathetic at the same time. I don't know. And obviously the people that I know in a long time, I want them to know like any time is a good time to, to take down somebody that's saying something racist. Anytime, Amen. any day, Amen. like yeah. now, if you hear something, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I think that's kind of where a lot, a lot of it started for me was like, oh, I don't have to take this stuff. I don't have to accept being treated this way or accept other people talking this way about my friends or about people I know mm-hmm. or talking about people I don't know. They shouldn't be talking that way, you know? And so, like, I want to be known and remembered, and I don't think I won't ever not be remembered. I'm not, I'm never going to be remembered as shy and timid. <laughs> right. I definitely will be remembered as loud and outspoken, but very loving. Yeah. Loud, outspoken, loving. Yeah. I think that's that's all a given. Mission accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Holly, thank you so much for giving me a bit of your time today. Yeah, thank you. you Steph thank you Holly for sharing that with us yeah I did want to let our listeners and you know that Holly did pass away at the end of March um but I'm very happy to report that she did it on her terms the way that she wanted to and I know that it's really tricky sometimes to talk about dying of cancer in cancer spaces because it can be such a Mm -hmm. fearful prospect but I do think that the things Holly had to say about it were a comfort for me, you know, knowing that you can take control and you can live and die with integrity and authenticity and still embrace magic and wonder and new experiences and surprise right up until the end of your life. Truly. And like, what a wonderful surprise, like what a gift for her to receive. And, um, just right at the most perfect time to meet your family when it sounds like she was curious her entire life for yeah. this moment. And then it really did come at the last moment. Yeah. And, you know, like I said in the interview, what better gift to give to your son and Absolutely. to all of those new members of her family than the opportunity to learn through each other about her. Absolutely. So true. Yeah. 
Well, I'm really glad that you did that interview. I'm really glad that she was so generous with her time to, to spend time with our podcast listeners and our community. And so, right. Obviously it was a really emotional, really vulnerable conversation, um, at a time when she was exhausted. So, um, really, really, really grateful for her generosity of spirit there. Absolutely. So thanks, Holly, wherever you Thank are. You, Holly, wherever you are. And yeah, this has been our first um, Cancer for Breakfast second opinion. We'll probably just drop in these periodically. Um, either Steph or myself will do an interview with some sort of interesting person who can share a wealth of knowledge about <laughs> some sort of something. That's right. Um, but yeah, so... Um, thank you so much for listening. Anything else we should add? I don't think so. Take care, pals. Take care, pals. <laughs>